Hey, folks, you're listening to On the Board Sports uh, with my good friends, uh, William and Sean. This is Lake Lewis. I cover the Redskins. Check these guys out. They do a great job. Welcome back to another edition of the On The Board Sports Podcast. My name is Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee on the mic. Happy Friday to all. Hope everybody's staying safe and, you know, and being safe. Obviously, a lot is going on, so just hope everybody is staying, staying safe and sound. want to introduce my co-host right now, William Chirucci, a.k.a. Will C. Will. Happy Friday, pal. Absolutely. TGIF indeed, but every day feels like a Sunday. I keep on saying this every time. Every day feels like a Sunday during this whole pandemic and the world is just absolutely crazy right now for sure. Uh, it's a sad state of affairs, obviously seeing all this stuff, but you know, right now it, it's just absolutely crazy what's going on for sure. Uh, but joining us from California is the one and only Jim Trotter of NFL network. And he is the president of the pro football writers of America. Not Jim, anymore. Not anymore. No, no, no. That, um, that ended actually when I joined the network in April of 18, there's a, there's a bylaw, which I did not know about that said essentially if you worked for the league or a league representative, you were not permitted to be a member. So I had to relinquish, um, my responsibilities about a year plus into my two year tenure. Wow. We did not know that. Okay. That's very interesting stuff right there, Jim. Uh, Jim, how are you making out during this uh, pandemic right now? Uh, truthfully, like everyone else, you have your good days and your bad days. Um, you um, you want to say that everything's fine, but I think if you're being honest and, and you want to let everyone know too that it's okay not to be okay. So I think we all have our good days and our bad days. I'm no different. And um, in light of everything else that's going on out in the country now, it, it's uh, these are tough times, man. So you just got to try and stay positive and keep pushing for change and positive change. And, and um, that's kind of where I'm at. Absolutely. Well, Jim, for you, you've been writing football for a long time. You've been working not only at NFL Network, but you were aforementioned as the president of the Pro Football Writers of America and even working in San Diego. Uh, tell us where your love for writing for sports began. Oh, I think I always had an interest. I think back in high school, um, I wanted to write for the school paper, but I couldn't, or I felt I couldn't, because I would be writing about teammates. And I didn't feel at that time that was right. Um, and it obviously would put me in an awkward and uncomfortable position as well as my teammates. So I never did. So when I finished high school, went to college, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into sports journalism. And I knew I was never going to be good enough to play in the NFL or anything like that. And so I was seeking a way to stay close to the game uh, and games without actually being a player and writing about sport was one of the ways that I could do that. And so I just kind of followed that, that passion. Well said there, Jim. Well, well said. Jim, outside of everything that you do, me and Will also know that you write an author that you've written um, or uh, books and such. Tell me and Will about that. 
Yeah, um, it's funny. I never really had given much thought to writing books. And um, after Junior Seau passed, I was approached about doing a book on, you know, his life and death. And Junior was someone that I covered while working for the San Diego Union Tribune. And um, he was really one of the first guys I met when I walked in the locker room and kind of took me under his wing in terms of helping me understand the culture of an NFL locker room. I never covered a pro locker room before at that level. And, um, and it's funny because everyone thought because of that, he was giving me, you know, inside information and this and the other, which was, was not true at all. If anyone knew Junior, he was, he was so protective of the locker room and his teammates, but he helped me understand the culture and the mindset of a professional football player and whatnot. So when he passed, um, I was approached about writing a book and I, I initially said, no, I felt like it would be too intrusive um, on the family who was grieving obviously at that moment. And, you know, over time, some of the family members said um, that if someone was going to write a book, he would want it to be me and they thought it would be good um, because they knew I would be respectful. And so I ultimately ended up writing it. And, and um, you know, that led to me later getting a call, you know, from uh, Larry Fitzgerald's people when Larry wanted to write a book to ask me if I would be interested in doing a book with Larry, who I had developed a relationship with. And um, so we started working on that X number of years ago. So uh, it was never something that I had aspired to, but it was just sort of something that kind of also crossed my path. Absolutely, absolutely. Jim, when you talk about Junior Seau, Junior Seau, obviously with the whole CTE uh, concussions and, and such, uh, when, when he passed away, what was that like uh, for, for you having to cover, cover that and, you know, being so close to Junior? Oh, it was tough. Right? I mean, first and foremost, it was tough losing a friend, and I consider Junior to be a friend. The funny thing is people think that when I say that, it means that we were always together or we were out at parties together and all that kind of stuff. And first of all, anyone who knows me knows I don't do um, much partying of any party. So that wasn't the case. And secondly, I rarely saw Junior outside of charity functions that his foundation would put on. So when he passed away and I started to learn about some of the things that were going on in his life, um, you know, it was stunning because uh, I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't deal with him on that personal level. And right. um, so it was, um, I, I can still remember that morning. I was sitting down on the couch. It was early morning. I'm sitting on the couch downstairs, kind of watching the news. And I get a, a private message from a former NFL player who is from um, North County, San Diego, and who, um, was someone that Junior knew and uh, was a mentor to this player as well. And he asked me, just out of the blue, hey, you know, how's Buddy doing? Everyone, Junior called everyone Buddy and people would call him Buddy. And I said, mm -hmm. um, well, you know, I talked to him, I don't know, a month or two earlier, everything was fine as far as I know. And I said, why do you ask? And he said uh, he had just gotten a message from his mom that Junior had um, taken his life. And I'm like, well, I've heard nothing about that. I find that hard to believe. And so I started making some calls. Um, first and foremost, I called Junior's cell phone and obviously got no answer. And then I started calling people around Junior um, and ultimately got in touch with one who said, 
they knew nothing about this and they were going to look into it. And before too long after that, TMZ was reporting that, that um, he had passed away. And so that was kind of how I learned of it. And uh, it was just a surreal morning and remains surreal. And in fact, you know, this is what, um, May is the eight year anniversary of his passing. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's a great loss. And the thing that's so interesting, it tells you about, you know, the impact he had on people. When, when I talked to, you know, former players, players from his era now, one of the, they know that we were friends. One of the first things they'll always say is, man, I miss Buddy, you know? And um, anyone who knew him feels that way. Well said, Jim, well said. Jim, with the off season that the NFL has had, obviously the off season has been the same, not being able to do certain things, but the news has come in every single day from Brady switching teams to Gronk coming back. Dak wants to get paid. Christian McCaffrey got paid. To you, what are like the top two or three uh, storylines that we've had so far? Oh, I, I think first and foremost, um, from a on-field standpoint, is Tom Brady changing teams, leaving New England. Um, you're talking about arguably the greatest quarterback of all time um, after 20 years leaving a franchise that he had won what um, I start to lose track at this point, six <laughs> times with. Um, so that's clearly the, the, the um, on-field story. The off-field story is, is without a doubt this pandemic and how it's impacted how the league and not just the NFL, but all sports teams go about doing their business at this point. So there still remains a lot of uncertainty and, um, and that's gonna be a story probably throughout the year, regardless of what happens is, is how this pandemic affected uh, players and teams and the league at large. Absolutely. Jim, from a New York football perspective, the Jets and the Giants, Horrible years last year for them. They wound up, the, the Giants wound up going 4-12, and Jets 7-9. and Jets found themselves back in with Sam Darno coming back. What's your take on what the Giants and the Jets have done uh, this offseason? Um, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the Giants have some talent. And I think first and foremost, whenever you have a young franchise quarterback, you've got to be able to protect him. We've seen too often young quarterbacks who take a lot of hits early in their career um, during the developmental stage, and it impacts them long-term. And so I think going out and addressing the offensive line, particularly in the draft, using that first pick on a left tackle was huge for them um, because if they can keep uh, Daniel upright, obviously they've got a much better chance of being successful. From a Jets, excuse me, from a Jets standpoint, there is obviously talent there. Um, but there always seems to be some drama with the Jets and we're seeing it now with Jamal Adams and, you know, it would just be nice to see the Jets go through an off season where there is not that drama and where the focus is solely on football and developing that culture. And that's not to say that they won't be successful because of what's going on. But, um, I just think there always seems to be drama or distraction, um, uh, uh, with that club of late. Right, Jim, speaking of uh, Jamal, he wants to get paid. Back wants to get paid. I'm a huge uh, Tennessee Titan fan. So Derek Henry also wants uh, to get paid. How do you think all three of those contract situations are going to go? 
Well, I think Dak will get paid. Um, quarterbacks tend to get paid in this league. And from Dallas's standpoint, look, you know, and I, I've said this before, so I'm not speaking out of turn. If I'm Dak, I'm, I'm cool playing on the exclusive franchise tag. I'm cool betting on myself and doing a Kirk Cousins if they don't want to pay me. I think a lot of times we ask players to, to be team players, you know, but we don't ask that of clubs when it comes to money in particular. So football is a business, not a game. First and foremost, it is a business. So my advice to Dak would be, look, if they're not going to give you what you want, bet on yourself, uh, collect that $31 million this year, and then if they have a great year and if they want to franchise you again next year, they've got to pay you roughly $37 million uh, plus, almost $38 million. So over two years, you will have made nearly $70 million. And what do we know? We know they're not going to franchise them a third year because the cost is so exorbitant. So at that point, they're either going to give you what you want or you're going to become an unrestricted free agent and you will get paid that way just as Cousins did. So, um, look, we hear players talk about all the time about wanting guaranteed contracts and whatnot. Well, that requires some pain and some risk. And are you willing to bet on yourself? And until they're willing to do that consistently, and particularly top-line players, there won't be change. So, so if I'm Dak, I'm good either way. You know, I'm, I, to be frank with you, I'm a little disappointed he's not participating in the off-season virtual programs. Simply from a standpoint, look, you want to be as ready as you can um, once the, the season starts. And maybe things are going on that I don't know about or others don't know about in terms of his preparation and, and adjusting to what's happening. But from my standpoint, go out, ball out this year. If they don't give you that long-term contract by July 15th, which is the deadline, go out and ball out and get paid next year, you know? So, so I'm good with that. As far as Derrick Henry, look, the reality is teams don't like or are afraid to tie up um, big money long-term on the running back position. And all we have to do is look at Todd Gurley as the latest example of why teams are afraid. Christian McCaffrey got paid, no question. Derrick Henry, I think with his running style, um, it probably scares the Titans to some extent to have a big back like that who takes that kind of punishment. You know, how long is he going to be around? So um, I've always been a firm believer that under the last CBA that was ratified in 2011, that running backs got screwed more than any other position from the standpoint that if you were drafted in the first round, um, a team can basically lock you up for seven years before you ever get to the open mar an open market. And to me, that's just not right when we know that the average career span is less than four years for an NFL player. And for a running back, really, it's less than that, particularly if they run you into the ground, as I imagine they're going to do with Derrick Henry. So I, I feel for him. Um, with Jamal, that was a hard one to speak to because the game is changing and the safety position is becoming much more valuable uh, because so much is asked of safeties. Now you don't have like back in my day, the traditional free safety and strong safety where one's a run defender, one's a pass defender. Now the really good safeties are versatile and they have to play the run and the pass. They have to be able to line up in the slot, all these different things. And with Jamal, he also brings leadership to that team. You know, you can arguably say he's their best player and definitely their best defensive players. So um, you hope that gets done. Um, but at this point, who knows what the Jets are thinking. As I said, there always seems to be some drama there. Jim, I'm a Jets fan, and every year this always happens some way, somehow. But 
you know, I don't even want to talk about the Jets anymore at this point outside of the fact that you got to have some faith and confidence. Maybe this year is the year. You never know. But anyway, moving on from the Jets over to the quarterbacks so far this offseason, I know you alluded to Tom Brady. You alluded to Dak Prescott. Andy Dalton goes over to Dallas. Jameis Winston backs up Drew Brees for a year, minimum, you know, one year, one million. And the biggest prize left in, in this free agent pool still is Cam Newton. What's going on with Cam? Well, the thing that hurt Cam most initially was the fact that we had the pandemic and therefore teams were unable to bring players in for physicals. And the one thing that clubs want to know is how is Cam's shoulder? You know, he had two surgeries on it two off seasons ago. And then last year he had foot, um, a foot issue that caused him to miss, what was it, 14 games, 14 plus games. So, um, so he's had some issues physically and clubs want to get their hands on a player and see just where he's at and what um, they want to have their own doctors look at him and find the extent of his health and that sort of thing. So I think these are circumstances that worked against Cam at this point. The other thing I would say with Cam is when it comes to general managers, many times they're risk averse, meaning that even though they may want to do something, they're afraid to do it because if it turns out to be wrong, they have to answer to their owners. Why did you go down that road when everyone was saying you should not go down that road? So by that, I mean that if a general manager was to sign Cam Newton with all these questions about his health and Cam breaks down a game or two into the season, that GM is going to have to answer to that owner about why he paid Cam such and such knowing about his history and the risk that was there. So unless an organization isn't all on the same page, it can create issues. So general managers want to cover their butt. And I think some of that's going on with Cam as well, as well as the fact that Ron Rivera, who coached Cam all those years down in Carolina, had a chance to bring him to Washington. And rather than bring Cam, he brought Cam's backup. Kyle Allen, mm -hmm. which to general managers around the league sends the message of if Ron Rivera isn't willing to bring him in, something must be going on, and therefore we are not going to bring him in. So I think there are a lot of different layers to the, to the Cam Newton story. I'm fascinated to see where he'll land. Um, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows at this point. The question becomes, what is Cam looking for? Um, what type of salary is he looking for? Does he want to be a, is he going in saying, I want to compete for the starting job? Or is he content to say, I'll back up uh, until that opportunity arrives? I don't know. Cam has not answered those questions, at least publicly that I've seen. So um, I find it to be a fascinating situation, but I will say this. If I were a GM, I would definitely take a risk, uh, a flyer on Cam, because I think that two years ago, prior to him suffering those shoulder injuries, he was playing at an extremely high level. Uh, Carolina Panthers were six and two and Cam was rolling and I'm willing to take that chance now that he's basically had two full years off for the most part with the exception of a couple of games um, so I'm going to believe that his body has healed and I'm and I think he's worth the risk at this point me and Will think the same thing like me and Will cannot believe that Cam is still an out there Jim but I can I can. <laughs> well, I can't. I mean, you see the way these guys do things and, and you know, and, and how, um, look, as a GM and whatnot, oftentimes you're always on the hot seat. So you've got to be able to justify what you do to these owners. And rather than be able to justify, um, 
they it's almost like they're playing prevent defense. All right. You know, so exactly. don't give up the big play. Well, right. don't make the big mistake. And right. and unfortunately, when you take that attitude, sometimes it comes back to bite you in the butt anyway. That's very true, Jim. Jim, because of everything that's going on, for the first time in history, the NFL had a had a virtual draft. I know the first testing there was like a little an issue, but the draft itself it seemed like all seven rounds, all three days went pretty pretty well. What was your take on just the overall virtual draft? I thought it was pretty cool, actually. I was one of those people, like everyone else, who who had questions about how this was going to look, how it was going to work, would there be technical glitches, all of those things. But I thought it went up, went off really well, and I thought. I thought in some ways it humanized the players even more because you see them at their homes or at, you know, a home of their choice around the people who were most important to them. Um, and to me, it, it felt more authentic, you know, and they're not in the suits and the this and the that, they're just being themselves. And so I thought that was, I, I thought that was cool. The other thing that was really interesting to me about it when it was over is talking to coaches or GMs who said, you know what? Um, what we learned from this process is that we can apply virtual technology more to our everyday lives in terms of, of work. And I think you're going to see going forward teams that either A, um, have fewer people in the building and allow them to, to work remotely, and also maybe with coaches, having it to where they can get home at a decent hour to spend time with their families while still getting work done remotely. Um, and to me, those are both positives. What did you think of the Dolphins draft this year, having the three draft picks and then going out and just having the draft the way how it was getting Tua and the, and the two offensive linemen? What what you take on Miami's uh, overall draft? Yeah, I'll say this. I'm not one of these people who grades a draft after it's over um, because okay. one, I, I don't I don't see these these prospects during the year. You know, right. I see a few college games, but not enough to make a, a true evaluation of someone. Um, okay. So I always take a wait and see with that. On paper, it looks like the Dolphins did really well for themselves, including a free agency as well, um, and also making the trade for Matt Breida, who I think is going to be tremendous for them uh, in that offense. So. Again, on paper, I think they look. It looks like they did all the right things, and the pieces are, are forming to um, resurrect that franchise into, into, I think, something that can be um, strong for a long time. But I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm just being honest. With you. I, I, you know, I, yep. People who come out right after the draft and give grades to it and whatnot, I think it's foolish. And I, and I understand why they do it. Why some do it because they're told to do it. Um, and it gets the clicks and that sort of thing. Um, but none of us know. The people who drafted don't even know. They're, they're, all, they're making projections on different things. And um, so I'd just rather not give a hot take and just say, well, we'll wait and see. On paper, it looks good, but games aren't won on paper. Absolutely. The patient approach right there. Absolutely well said. Jim, the team that picked after Miami, though, the Chargers, with their situation – the quarterbacks, they wound up going out there and getting Justin Herbert. Anthony Lynn, former Bills quarterback, has Tyrod Taylor, former uh, former Bills coach, excuse me, gets Tyrod Taylor, former Bills quarterback. So there's some sort of continuity there. And, you know, Philip Rivers is gone. Talk to us about the state of the Chargers here. What's going well, on with them? 
look, this team is, is built right now to win. So um, one other addition that I think I would mention to you that's pretty critical is they added quarterback coach Pep Hamilton, who is going to be charged with helping to develop Justin Herbert, um, who has a lot of experience on both the collegiate and the NFL level. Um, but when I look at the Chargers, you know, look, their defense has a chance to be outstanding. Um, offensively, they've got everything. They've got two talented wideouts in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They've got a young, talented tight end in Hunter Henry. Austin Eckler is a guy they chose at running back over Melvin Ingram. They upgraded the offensive line this offseason uh, through free agency. Uh, I just – I think they're built to win now. The question is how well will Tyrod play for them and at what point will Justin Herbert be ready to go? Um, and, look, they're not going to ask Tyrod to win games. They really want to rely on their run game, um, particularly their four-minute offense at the end of games. One of the things we saw with Phillip Rivers um, is that he was mistake-prone um, in recent years. Uh, seriously so. And that's the thing. People look at the total numbers and say he's a future Hall of Famer. Well, first of all, I, I'm not necessarily buying that. I, I think, for me, Hall of Famers step up in the big games, and Phillip hasn't always done that as, a, as it relates to the postseason. Um, and the other thing is the turnovers were a serious issue with him. It compromised the, not only the offense, but the defense. So I think what Anthony Lynn believes is that if they can run the ball effectively, um, stay ahead of the chains, um, not put Tyrod in tough situations, then they've got a chance to be really successful because of that defense that they have. The problem, one of the problems is, if, if you want to look at it this way, is, this, man, they play in a really tough division. You know, when you yes. talk about the Chiefs and the Raiders are building and people believe the Broncos have one of the better off seasons. Um, so it, it, whatever happens, it's going to be fun. Jim, you are right, though. Because I watched a couple uh, uh, Chargers games, and I was like, he threw that pass? <laughs> like, like, I mean, like, the fact that he threw the pick, he fumbled the ball, I was like, oh, wow. So, Jim, my final question for you is, about a couple weeks ago, the NFL has a proposed <laughs> Rooney rule where they're going to give certain draft compensation to teams that either interview or hire um, – minorities and um i've talked to friends and we've done a couple uh interviews and almost the majority hates the proposal so i asked you when you first heard of it what were your thoughts uh when i first heard of it i was i was pretty surprised um because my first reaction was are they are they they use the word incentivizing but it sounds like you're trying to bribe owners to hire minority coaches or gms but let me, let me clear up a couple things real quick. Number one, the Rooney Rule is separate from these proposals. The Rooney Rule is something that the league can impose on its own. It does not require a vote of the owners. And so the enhancements that, it is made to, that, that, the, that have been made to the rule where now you must interview at least two minority candidates for a GM or head coaching positions, and also um, the rule will now be applied to coordinator position, um, that's separate from what we're talking about. Those are things that were imposed by the league. These resolu the resolution you brought up is something that has to be approved by owners, by a vote of owners. And they decided to table the resolution in part, I believe, because um, number one, there was backlash from it, uh, particularly from minority coaches, and one of whom I know 
called his owner and said, if you vote for this, it would be an insult to me personally. Um, because for a couple of reasons, one, they felt that, that it put a scarlet letter on their chest that they didn't get the job based on their qualifications and their abilities. They got it because of the color of their skin. And two, it would undercut their authority in the locker room when players and others start to look at them as being someone who was quote unquote, an affirmative hire, um, affirmative action hire, as opposed to someone who was hired because he was the most qualified. Um, I do think what it reflects is the frustration on the part of the NFL league office. Um, they do not like what's going on. They do not like the rollback that in the last three hiring cycles, there have been 20 head coaching vacancies and only three went to a person of color. Um, that's not good business in their eyes. And yet they don't have, the, the league office officials do not have the authority to hire and fire. And I've said this many times and I'll say it again. This is not a league issue. This is an owner issue. Owners are the ones who do the hiring. Owners are the ones who do the firing. And what they have shown us to this point is that they're really good at firing and terrible at hiring. Because since 2000, on average, we have seven head coaching changes per year. That's almost a quarter of the league every year being changed, the head coaches being changed. And if that doesn't tell you that your business model is flawed and how you are going about hiring coaches is flawed, I don't know what will. And I believe that until owners go back and fundamentally look at how they hire head coaches, this isn't going to change. Because what do we always hear every hiring cycle, you know, when quote unquote Black Monday rolls around, we hear <laughs> who, who are the hot candidates, right? And my point is, before you ever get to the, to the point of asking who are the hot candidates, you need to ask, what is it that I'm looking for in a head coach? Do I want someone with experience? Do I want someone who's fresh? Do I want someone who's older, someone who's younger? Do I want someone from the offensive side, the defensive side, or special teams? Do I want a delegator or do I want someone who's hands-on? Do I want someone who's charismatic or do I want someone who's more reserved? Do I want a teacher or do I want an overseer? All of these things should be answered before you ever say who are the hot candidates because then you don't have any principles in terms of what you're looking for. It's not enough to just say, I want someone good. You have to be able to identify before you go into the process, what, what define what good is for you. And too many owners don't do that. Jim, my final question for you here is you've covered a lot of football moments. You've covered basically almost everything. You're working for the NFL network right now. Uh, what's your favorite moment so far in the career of Jim Trotter? Oh, man. Um, that's a hard one. You know, to be frank with you, the most fun I've ever had in the business was actually covering minor league hockey. Um, I was, wow. yeah, I was, a, I was a high school writer here in San Diego, working for the, at the time San Diego Union. Okay. And um, an international hockey league team came to the city. And it was summer and nobody was really around. So they basically gave it to me and said, go cover this press conference. I had never been to a hockey game in my life. <laughs> I had never watched a full hockey game on TV. So other than the, just the general, you know, that is kind of like soccer on ice, I didn't know anything about um, the game, the sport. And the beauty of it and why it was so much fun is I went in, when I started covering that team, I went in, I told the players and I told the general manager and the coach, 
I don't know a lot about this sport, but I'm willing to learn. And I think that they were a little surprised by that, that, that a reporter would come in acting as if he didn't know it all already. And, and they helped me, they helped teach me the game and understand it. And, and so um, it, it, was, it was just a lot of fun as the whole year was just a learning experience for me. And it was something different and, um, and I'm, I'm grateful to them. So that was probably the most fun. Um, but in, ter in terms of moments, there have been so many moments, man. I mean, covering the NBA finals when um, Jordan wins the title um, for the first time after his father's death and walking in and seeing him on the, the locker room floor in a fetal position, crying, holding, you know, a ball. It's like, uh, it's an indelible memory. Um, you know, being in San Francisco when, when Jerry Rice broke Jim Brown's record, um, scoring record, um, touchdown record, seeing Terrell Owens catch that, that pass, they call it the catch two versus the Packers in the playoff. Um, actually being on the sideline during the tuck rule game um, because we had gone down to the field because we thought the game was over. So we had gone down to the field and that play occurs and the game doesn't end it goes to overtime and so we're watching it from the sideline and some of the members then of new kids on the block were on the sideline too which was kind of strange um and that was back at old gillette stadium so i mean man there are so many things i don't know that i could pick one but um um but yeah so you know just things like that that's awesome especially the hockey part we're hockey fans we're islander fans being from the island so you know hey maybe when the football when who knows maybe when you're done with football maybe working for the nhl network or something like that might happen i don't think that's gonna happen I think <laughs> i'm done with football i'll be done period so um you'll find me gotcha. on somewhere gotcha. jim we know you're a busy guy thank you for making some time before you go how do the people follow you on social media uh, I'm at Jim Trotter underscore NFL on both um, Twitter and Instagram. Perfect, perfect. Jim, awesome. Jim, continue to stay safe, continue to be safe. Thank you for making some time. Thank, Thank you. you so, so much, man. I appreciate you, fellas. All right, You're welcome back on anytime. Thank you. All right, guys. Have a good one. You too. Right, Thank you, man. Be safe. Well, that was the one and only Jim Trotter of the NFL Network. Well, I watch the NFL Network a lot, so once again, I'm in awe that someone that I watch on TV all the time, I we just spoke to him, huh? Yeah, we just spoke to him indeed, and we learned a lot uh, from Jim Trotter of the NFL Network. Didn't know, we didn't know that he actually covered minor league hockey in San Diego. That's crazy. Uh, didn't know it. Hey, the, the beauty of it is, and this is any, any part of life, if you don't know something, ask a question and people will definitely help you out in that. You have no idea. Being an electrician, I may not know something. You go out, you ask a question. There's, there's going to be an answer and somebody will give you that answer, but you, got, you cannot be afraid to ask questions. And Jim is a living example of that. He is. Well, he is. And it's like he said, you know, he didn't, he was like, oh, hockey, I don't want to do this. He was willing to go and learn and, like he said, it was the most funny he's ever had. You know right. Like he's covered basketball games, football games, and a minor league hockey team. Yeah. <laughs> the most fun he's had. And Will, Absolutely you, crazy. And, Will, you popped my hockey uh, 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 cherry soda. Yeah. Soda. And to this day, 
I, that that game was fun. That yeah. Was, uh, that me, you, and School B. Happy birthday to School B, man. Yes. Happy belated birthday to School B, which was yes. uh, yesterday. Me and me and Will both uh, shouted out School. So shout out to School. Will, before we go, any final thoughts, Will? Yeah, I got one final thought. Um, you know, just going back to Brandon. Uh, you know, when we all went to that Islander game last year, Saturday, I know I mentioned it on my Instagram story, but for the people out there listening and saying, well, why would Brandon Robinson go to an Islander game? Why isn't he sitting in a suite at all or something like that? We offered him a ticket. He came, he sat with us an absolutely great time. And the funny thing I'll remember the most is they're down. He could have left. He could have left and he could have done his work and been like, Hey guys, listen, I'm busy. I got to go. But he knew the Wi-Fi password for Barclays he, because he's there all the time covering basketball. And, you know, for them to be there and sitting last row with the Blue and Orange Army in, in an area in which it's, it, you know, you have the, the blocked off feature from where the Blue and Orange Army sits yeah. at Islander games. You know, you can't see the one side of the, of the rink really and what's going on. Yeah. at the half board, everything like that. But there he is. He's doing his work, and the Islanders came back, and they won, and he's cheering with us. He's having a great time. And that's the type of guy Brandon is. Brandon is totally, totally a one-of-a-kind person. So, Brandon, if you're listening in on this, buddy, happy birthday. We love you over here at the On the Board Sports Podcast. Of all, of all the things that you've done, though, come on our show and talk basketball with us. That's the one thing that will always stick out in my mind. You covering the NBA trading deadline in 2019, and – you're watching an Islander game in the last row at Barclays Center. Crazy stuff. Crazy yeah. stuff. Happy birthday, bud. Well said, Will. Well said. Well, uh, no final thoughts for me. Just want to thank the gym. Actually, what I do have a final thought. I'll yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, obviously, this week with the – there's a lot going on. I will try to make a long story very, very short. Yep. Obviously, we know the death of George uh, Floyd and um, Will – too many times when these things happen, it's normally white versus black, white versus black, white versus black. And of course you have the racism card, the race card, the white card, the black card, right. the white America card, the black hood card, whatever you want to say. But well, it's unfortunate that this goes on because there's so many good examples of white human beings and African-American human beings being one and well a perfect example is me and you yeah well i've made some jokes that maybe you could have took um offense to and you did right. not you made some jokes that i could have took offense to but i did not because at the end of the day i love you and you love me and we know Absolutely. exactly what each other mean the point yeah. that i'm trying to say is there is love amongst white human beings and african americans but Will Smith said it the best, Will, and I agree with him. Unfortunately, racism and, Will, racism is not only whites on blacks. Well, I have, unfortunately, I have some black friends who are racist towards white people too. So when people say race, please, it's not just white on black, it's black on whites too. But, but, but Will, to me, Will Smith said it the best. Racism never stopped. It just got videotaped. I think that's 100% true. Yeah. Racism happens every day. We just don't see it. So when we do see it, it's, oh, it's this big, big thing. So, Will, as a black man, 
talking to you, a white man, right? My white pal, I want to tell you that I am a fan of yours. I'm a fan I, of yours too, buddy. I love you like a fat kid loves cake. And even if you were Spanish, if you were black, if you were orange, if you were green, it yep. doesn't matter the color of your skin. We can all be or be be one, and we can all get along and love each other. So, Will, thank you, pal. And it doesn't matter that you're white and that I'm black. We make it work, and the United States and the world can make it work. Hopefully, one day, Will, we get to see it. Absolutely. And you know what? To add it, to piggyback on to your point, you know, as a sports fan, there's no sports going on. And with George Lloyd's death, it's just basically every everybody – this is something that we've never seen before, okay? We've had sporting events going on. and We've had on political figures and sports figures come out and, and talk about this. But this, this in, in this world, you know, you, you alluded to it with Will Smith. You know, everybody's on Twitter now. What's the main thing that's trending this, this George Lloyd thing? It's not sports. It's not the NBA. It's not the NHL. It's not MLB and what's going on. And they say sports is a microcosm, right? So if you go out there and you look at everything with what's been been going on, baseball people are fighting over you know money, millionaires, billionaires. The average span of a life player is five to six years. My point is, you know, with with that, we have the racism going on and and the whole George Floyd situation. And it's, you talk about crazy times. What I'm referring to is just the crazy times that we're living in right now. And think about this, since this pandemic started up two and a half months ago, and it's not like this is, you know, everything's been built up for years, but this COVID-19 pandemic has shut everything down. And it really, really made everybody look at this situation now. Because there's no distractions. This is the raw truth at this point in time. So that is so true, what you just said right there, Sean. Well, and before you go, you may, I want to talk to my black friends and black people specifically for like 30. uh, uh, Go ahead. When this happens, we want to riot and we want to set things on fire and we want to break shit and we want to do all of this. All of that is... If you have to let frustration out, listen, if that's the best way you see it, that's the best way. Well, do you want to know what a major issue with black folks are? A major issue with black folks is that we lack consistency. We write, we write, we write, we stop. We fight, we fight, we fight, we stop. We protest, we protest, we protest, we stop. Well, a living example of that, and maybe this is a contra- Virtual take, but I'm going to say it. Say the example of that is Colin Kaepernick. He kneeled, he kneeled, he kneeled. All of a sudden, well, he stopped posting. The kneeling stopped. There's rumors of the NFL paid him to be quiet, which I think they did. And maybe that's a controversial take, but as African Americans, we don't stay consistent in what we believe in, and we also and will and will you. Hit it right on the head. We get distracted. Will, look at how this George Lloyd thing and this Brianna, I've got um, uh, her last name, but the right. girl that was shot uh, in her house. Mm-hmm. Look how much this is going on now, Will. Will, I guarantee you, if 
Adam Silver comes out next week and says the NBA is coming back such and such a date, Brianna and George Lloyd, those stories will go to the wayside amongst black folks because it's built in our DNA to stop when we get distracted. It's not only you that's going right, to happen. Right. It's not only what's going on with, with what you just said right there, but it's just in general, the population, the American population in general going out there and seeing something. It's a news cycle. It's like, you know, the 15 seconds of fame story at that point in time, you're the hottest thing now. And then the next hottest thing or the next hottest story comes in and takes that over. And it's a shame because of what's going on. You're seeing Minneapolis burn down right now at this point in time. You're seeing a lot of chaos within this country and you're seeing a lot of divide. But the, the main thing here is, the main thing here is with everything that's gone on through all this, whether or not you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, everybody says the same thing. George Lloyd should be here right now on this earth breathing because of what, what had happened. And that cop should be arrested. That cop, and this is the key consistency, the, the key consistent factor in all this right now. While Minneapolis is burning right now, the reason why they're burning Minneapolis is because of the fact that, forget the looters and everything like that, they're looting because of the fact that this guy, this officer, hasn't been arrested yet and hasn't been brought to, to trial at all and everything like that. And I get that there's union, you know, there's the police union, everything like that that's involved and such but it's just for me personally it's you know it, it's a shame it's what's going on in this world and you know it's he was the man was already handcuffed he was already handcuffed there was no four cops right four cops all around four cops all around and i know cops i know you know cops you know there there are plenty of good ones and there are also some shitty ones as well yeah. but you know for this incident for this incident, for this one cop, you know, everybody's going to go out there and smash police cars, everything like that. There's riots everywhere and such. Let's think with cooler heads at this point in time. I think George Floyd, George Lloyd would not have wanted this to go down, you know, and with all the looting and everything like that that's gone down. And it's just, you know, at, at, at what point in time do you just say, like, enough's enough as far as this goes? You know, it's – and like I said, too, you know, with no sports – you know, it's no sports, nobody's working. 20 to 30 million Americans now are looking at their phones or watching TV or however they consume their news. And this is the, you know, the, the most talked about story, you know, it, it's just, it, it's just crazy. It, it really is. Well said, well, well, well said. Well, me and you could go on and on and on, but we got to wrap up the show one. And yes. My laptop is about to die too. So <laughs> for everybody here, Charge it up, bud. Yes. For everybody here at On The Board Sports, shout out to our guest, Jim Trotter, for coming on. For my co-host, William Chirucci, a.k.a. VOC, I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Sean on the mic for On The Board Sports. Signing out. Continue to be safe. Continue to stay safe. And we wish everybody the best. Peace out.